Thanks, Joe. Um, and thanks to Ruthie as well, whoever she's ducked out to. I mean, these guys are guaranteed C3's next power couple, sitting up the front. Get to know them right now. Uh, as Joe said, Pastors Ward and Nick have sent their love and apologies that they can't be here today, which is all the more nerve-wracking because it's kind of like a student teacher being left alone with the class for the first time. All right, so I'll keep an eye out for our paper balls from the back. We're going to be carrying on from last week, and uh, you may recall last week we watched a video message. Uh, it was facilitated by Pastors Chris and Phil. They basically had a chat to the other campus pastors and talked about relationships, and we explored the highs and the lows, and how people go about getting through real talk and honest conversations with one another to try and reach the real um, heights of what a relationship can give. So this week I want to continue that theme on a bit further and have a look at what some of the characteristics or some of the pillars might be that make a godly relationship. What are we looking for to try and tap into it and address? And honestly, that is, on the surface of it, a really simple task and also a, an unbelievably wide task to try and unpack what a godly relationship might look like in our personal contexts. And the, the hard part is it's because... We're built for relationships. That's the reason for us being alive. That's the reason for us coming together in a community. And so being part of healthy and godly relationships, that's not the cherry on top of life. That's not the icing on top of the cake. That's literally the reason for why we're here. One lesson that a, a former boss shared with me, he his name is Craig Orm, and he loved to speak in mantras. Everything had a, he had a thousand rules and principles, and anytime you'd go to talk to him and say, Josh, what's the first rule? And his first rule is to be brilliant at the basics. Wow. He didn't care if you were a world triple jump champion or if you were the greatest risk manager in the history of business. If your job was to do IT, then he wanted you to be brilliant at that. Right. And so one of the things I want to talk about today is if we want to be brilliant at the basics and we're made for relationships, then we need to be brilliant at relationships because literally everything else will flow out of that, will build on that, and we can draw out of that. So, three pillars today. One, full. Our relationships are meant to be this vivid and meaningful and wonderful adventure from start to finish. We're not called to a life of isolation or living by ourselves. Number two is being frank. Relationships need to involve intimacy and communication. And as much as you might want to ignore or deny it, that means that to have a real relationship, we need to be vulnerable. And number three is fierce. And really, that's more than just being fearless, okay? A godly relationship, to me, is one that's passionate and bold, and that it's one where you encourage each other to seize opportunities and to, to strike out. So, what we're looking at, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter F. Um, but I'm going to start with two disclaimers before we go any further. And the first is that if you're sitting through today and you think that, Look, the only time I'm being fierce is um, on the footy field or when I'm belting out Beyonce on the way to work. 
then don't worry because I'm going to leave you with some ideas to, uh, to try and touch on as well. And looking at Ree, we should carpool. All right, the second one is that I'm not an expert at this and no one is. So what today is is a chance for us to stop and take stock of where we are, where we're up to and where we want to go with our relationships. So I've got my notes, I've got my Pentecostal preacher's uniform on. Uh, you've got the three points and the promise of some hot coffee, hot chocolate afterwards. Um, are you ready to start? Yeah. All right. Point number one that a godly relationship is full. We're not called to a life of isolation. We're meant to be in community and living lives of abundance. And sometimes that is quite hard to try and understand because I'm not here talking about being full in terms of being busy. We can often conflate the two and mix it up and try and add more things to our lives without getting the value out of what we're doing. So it's about adding that richness and that abundance to our relationships. And it comes back to that old adage that you want to add life to your years, not just years to your life. So, look, in, in, my, in my personal past, um, for me, the second half of 2012 was, it was one of the busiest times I've ever been around. And for Amanda as well, we were both working full-time and we were pushing sort of 60-hour weeks I was studying full-time at Bible college at the same time, um, working as the secretary of a church and doing ministry over at Hope Street in Woolloomooloo. Um, we were organising to move house. Amanda was looking at going to Spain for four months with work. Look, I, I've never been busier. I've never been meeting more people on a day-to-day basis. But honestly, I had never been as unsatisfied as I was during that period because we just had so much going on we were sort of flitting from events to events and meeting new people, but we weren't getting the richness and the depth out of those relationships. It wasn't a full relationship. So what I actually want to talk about is that it's about doing life together and pulling together for a common purpose, with a common vision. For me, one of the, the metaphors I go back to is I, I think about an orchestra and I'm not a musical person myself, so if I've made a complete hash of how an ensemble works, I give my apologies now. But you can add more and more instruments, you can add more and more players, but that doesn't add anything to the tapestry overall. Just adding more doesn't make it a full and vivid experience. All right, It's the harmony that comes from bringing it all together in a common purpose. That's where you get the beauty out of these experiences. And for me, it has to come down to that God's gospel is that conductor. It's leading us and giving us meaning and direction and shaping it so that we do all come together. So if we start with Romans chapter 12, um, it's a, a verse that I think a lot of people will be familiar with and it talks about one body but being many parts and that though many, we all form one body in Christ individually, but still members of one another. Look, I think for me that's connected to Pastor Ward's message from a couple of weeks ago about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it's that the, the sum of our parts is so much greater than the individual collections of where we are and that's where we get the fullness and the richness out of relationships. So part of that also is then 
being bold and trying to actively look for ways to build community, to build life together rather than just going through the motions and trying to tick what a good resume would look like, that you're a member of so many boards and so many ministries. That's not where we get the fullness out of our relationships. And really, that then leads on to John chapter 12 where it talks about we're not just here to have life. We're not just here to go through the motions because, you know, subscribing to the Christian worldview, God has his angels already singing the, the music each day. He's come here for a relationship and for us to have that relationship in abundance with one another. So if we, we want to illustrate it in the real world, look, there's one way that... Um, it's one of the few sort of uh, really academic ones I'll, I'll touch on today. There was a quite a significant study in 2015. It was the largest study across gender, age, country, nationality, every different type you can imagine, looking at neurobiological interfaces. Now, bear with me for a minute. The actual title goes across about five pages of this study. But it talks about how what you perceive what you feel and how you engage actually has real impacts on your health. Wow. That what you are a part of and how you connect into your community, that is such a key determinant for how you will have a healthy life later on in your life. And it really touched on some pretty, some pretty harrowing findings for the older members of the community, saying that loneliness is one of the key factors that leads to a premature death that it's social exclusion and physical isolation that can have these incredible effects in, not just in a mental capacity about leading on to Alzheimer's, although that does have a, a massive link to it, but it also weakens immune systems, it weakens social structures, it, it robs the community of corporate experience that the different generations share between one another. And so it was saying that Perpetual busy work can lead to this real sense of isolation that you never spend the time investing in a depth of relationship, so you never extract it. So people who may be very busy on the surface, they're still in their hearts quite deeply lonely. And they can't always articulate that. You know, it's not that they can put their finger on and say, I need to go out and be more social they can become quite confused because they think they're adding all these extra things into their life, but they're not getting the value back out of it. They're not extracting the meaning. So that's where I'd end the first point, is that a full relationship is a pillar, and it's a story of generosity and community in extracting meaning from what we do now. All right, And for me, that's why connect groups are so important, because it gives you those small groups where you get perspective, you get to share lessons, you get to share meaning and extract some sort of purpose from what you're doing in everyday life. So connect groups are, are that incredible vehicle that we look at on a, on a weekly basis for how you can tap into that. All right, point number two, Frank. For me, a godly relationship involves something called honest love. Now look, I'm not going to claim credit for this, Many years ago now when Amanda and I were engaged, we were travelling quite a lot with work and trying to find time to get in some premarital counselling, something that is an expected hurdle that people will go through these days. All right? And so we got in touch with the, uh, the pastor who was going to marry us and he said, no, no, I just need to see you once. 
And I remember it very clearly because he took us to this dive little restaurant attached to a servo on the uh, back of the Gold Coast. It was not the place you'd really expect to be diving into the depths of, you know, the, the wisdom of the ages about how a happy marriage should work. But he said, look, you can have, we can do a whole spectrum of, marriage, of pre-marriage counselling right now and start with what your goals are in life and what you look to get out of a marriage to your tactics of how you'll resolve conflicts. But he said, for him, there's one principle that it all comes back to, and that's the bedrock for a healthy relationship. And it's how well you do honest love. It's how well you are willing to communicate to one another in a, in a compassionate way, in, in a very um, gentle way, but to talk freely with one another. <clears throat> and he said that that is the hardest thing you'll ever find in your marriage to do well, but it's the most valuable thing you can ever invest in is that sort of honest love with one another. But really, I I do understand that being frank in that compassionate way, it's something that each one of us will struggle with in a different way. I know just recently the Navy um, had to go through quite a bit of coaching experience and they started a thing called a crucial conversation course because even they found taken outside of the personal relationships in a professional sense people really struggled to give honest feedback to their teams about what was going well, what wasn't going well, and how they could uh, cooperate to get a better outcome. So it goes across the whole spectrum from personal to professional and how you try and tap into honest love. Um, If you want to know about honest love, though, I would tell you to come and have a chat to the Coulombs up the front here, the coordinators of the C3 Cares Service. Look, I've never met a family who are less backward in coming forward, but in a very gentle and loving way. So please tap into these guys as are the experts there. (laughs) And there you have it. So if we want to situate it, I want to start with Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. In the context of the verse itself, it's talking about what sort of um, goals, what sort of lessons and experience and gifts are you bringing into your community? If you're just coming in at a very superficial level, you want to get in, tick the box, get out again, then you're only ever going to get superficial relationships out of it. If you come in and you sow deeply, if you really commit to what's going on, then that's where you'll really gain the most benefit. I personally, look, I don't believe in karma or some cosmic force out there seeking balance. But I do believe that in most cases we're architects of our own happiness. And what we sow into relationships, that is what we're going to get back out again. All right? And I give a caveat here, I'm not trying to lead an Oprah segment and talk about living your best life. There's going to be no car to give away at the end of it. Um, But we are, we're the architects of our own happiness. So if you want a deep and a meaningful relationship, that's what we need to be pursuing with one another. Has anyone heard of Stephen Grellett? He's an American Quaker. Um, This guy lived such an incredible life. He was a counsellor to um, popes, to kings, to presidents. Um, Lived a very odd life is about all I can say. Um, but he gave me one of, what is my, one of my favourite quotes. And he said, Keep your words sweet, for you may have to eat them in the future. 
I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, any kindness or truth I can show, let me do it now, for I shall not pass this way again. Wow. All right? For me, that, that's incredible. And it's true, we're on this journey to where we're moving forward. If we've got the chance to do it now, if we've got the chance to give that honest feedback that we know is going to enrich ourselves and possibly enrich others, then I think we do have that obligation to, to seek it out and to make honest love a bedrock of what we're trying to do. Which brings me to the next part. Did anyone go to the TED Talks this week in Sydney, out of interest? No? Look, I, I missed it as well. That makes about 10 years in a row. Um, <laughs> that one of my favourite TED Talks is by a, a Texan professor called Brene Brown. And she, um, she's spent her whole life exploring the ideas of shame and of empathy. And she's come up with this, this concept she calls wholeheartedness and what you're actually looking for out of a relationship. Um, a, a very good storyteller, and I definitely recommend you to, uh, to look it up afterwards. She gives this speech where she talks about something called excruciating vulnerability, and she pitches it in the terms of her relationship with her partner and says that in a lot of cases that she experiences personally and in her life as a counsellor, that people fear giving frank love to one another because we don't feel we have the self-esteem to withstand receiving honest love back. And so everyone walks around in this Mexican standoff situation where no one's willing to commit to giving that honest love and feedback to each other. And she makes the additional point that we then don't go after deep love because... Because we structure our words so carefully to avoid offending people, we think that everyone is out there giving these really carefully crafted messages and there's this subtext going on that no one's really sure about. So she talks about this, this process of becoming more vulnerable and opening yourselves up so that you can tap into what people are really talking about and that that will, while sometimes it might be painful, sometimes it might go all the way to being excruciating that that honesty is the way you'll tap into a richness for a relationship. Awesome. And, you know, that it comes back to Micah chapter 6 as well. It talks about, in the context, that, you know, God doesn't want you to come with burnt offerings or doesn't just want you to follow the letter of the law or to go and do X, Y, Z. At the end of the day, what God wants is for you to seek justice, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And it's that final part, that walking humbly, that's the part of truthfulness, of wholeheartedness and of vulnerability that we need to be tapping into in our relationships. And look, it, it is one of the hardest parts to fix because we carefully craft our words so often or we know how things might, we feel we know how things might be received, so we change it personal failing of mine is I always want to try and fix things. So anytime I've got an opportunity to, to be real, I, I really struggle with the idea that it's not a, a window for me to charge in and start giving my perspective and start trying to tell people how they need to fix things. I need to learn that the, the flip side of honest love is just stopping for a minute, having empathy, having connection and just being there with another person to understand what their heart is saying to them. 
And that's where you get that start of richness. It takes courage. And that's what brings me to my third point about being fierce. And look, I, I toyed with this one a bit about whether or not we'd go down the fierce path, because fierce in the Bible is almost exclusively used in the context of fierce wrath, fierce anger, fierce fury. Um, it's not a particularly pleasant term as it's used in the Bible. But it is used a couple of times in a really important way, in that it talks about being boldness. And it adds on to that sense of fearlessness. So it says that fearlessness comes from trust, from knowing that what you're doing is right and that you're on the right path and God's got your back. But it adds that boldness in that you can then go and seize the opportunities that are coming. Because you can be fearless because you have that trust or you can be fearless because you're simply not smart enough to know any better. So being fierce is about having that boldness that comes on to it as well. And being fierce is about channeling that intensity that we feel, that intense love that brings us together in the first part. And taking off where Brene Brown leads off with the vulnerability aspect, being fearless, being fierce requires that you recognise you've got an inherent, inviolable, incalculable sense of self-worth that you have worth and value. And so you have a right to be bold and to seize these opportunities. Um, It's a difficult pillar to try and resolve with humility, about knowing where that fine line is between when you start to become arrogant and start to become um, too bold and start going out on your own strength. Um, It it comes up a lot in modern feminism as well. How can a person be humble without coming across as weak? Or how can they be bold without seeming aggressive in what they do? So I recognise that there's a real tension there in how you go about it. I did have a look on Urban Dictionary to try and come up with another way of explaining being fierce. Um, This font of knowledge told me that uh, being fierce is more swag than you all can handle. So I didn't really feel that would add too much to the sermon today. So I went with the other direction. Um, There's an incredible song that we use quite a bit here at Roselle, um, Unstoppable Love. And for me, that that really paints a picture of what a fierce love looks like. All right, you're unrelenting with passion and mercy. You would come running, tear down every wall, all the while shouting, my love, you're worth it all. That's a fierce love. That's a love that knows no boundaries and wants the best for each of us. Look, one of the most incredible examples for me and one that I personally come back to in in Bible study and in life reflection is the story of the young David well before his coronation when he's trying to establish his credentials with the Israelites and he's getting ready to go out and face Goliath. He has the plan in his head that he's going to go and do this because This Philistine is mocking the Israelite army, it's mocking the Israelite God, Um, and while he feels he has the credentials, no one else is recognising that just yet. And his explanations uh, in 1 Samuel says, when danger came, I went out to it. When lions came, I went out after it and struck it. If a bear rose against me, You get the hint, you get the gist. 
The story is, when danger comes, David went out after it. He didn't wait for danger to arrive at his door. He didn't wait for the call up from the king to go out and match it. He saw danger coming. He took the opportunity, was bold, went out for his relationships. He knew that his family would be at danger if the lion took the sheep. He knew that his community would be in danger if bears kept coming back. So he went out and he met that danger head on. And so when he goes to go out and battle Goliath, he paints this interesting story where Saul goes to kid him up and gives him all his armour and his sword and David walks around and says, I I can't wear this. this, this isn't how I'm used to living. While it might work for you and it might be the textbook way of approaching this, um, that's not who I am. So what he did is he picked up five stones, didn't really know what he was going to be charging into but he said, you know what, I'm up for it. This relationship, this plan that I know God has for me is worth me going out and being bold right now and it's an interesting story that's often framed in a sense of um, God's power and and plan and certainly it it can be that way but if that's the symbolism you're looking for well David could have just gone out and shouted at Goliath he would have collapsed and the war would have been over that that's the extent of God's power that we're looking at through that whole narrative in the Old Testament but he goes out and he picks up five stones. And to me that says, you know what, I don't actually know what I'm going to be doing out here. I don't know whether it's going to take one stone, five stones, whether I'm going to need to run around and tie his feet with a sling. But I've got the plan. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be bold. So there's two key lessons there. The first is that boldness, passion and commitment they're the keys to unlocking far greater things than we can do on our own strength. That's right. All right? If the onus was on Saul or the king or the community to call us up, then David would still be waiting. If we wait to be called up by the pastor to come and help out in community, then we're going to be waiting a long time. We have the power, we have the, the permission to come and be bold in relationships to try and take back uh, the initiative there. Right. And the second is that The bridge, when you start to become arrogant, that's, to me, when you start to rely on only one weapon. The story is that David goes out to face Goliath and Goliath is standing there just with his spear. David took five stones. He had options there. Goliath was so self-confident, he thought that his one course of action, his one plan was going to be enough to see him through. All right? Leaving yourself open to see how God will work through you, that's one of the keys to keeping yourself in the fierce realm rather than the arrogant realm. Awesome. So I can probably ask Joe and Ruthie this. They, um, you'd have read the five languages of love, the preparations. Has anyone else read the, the five languages of love? Okay. So it goes through gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch. It says that everyone has one language that they speak and that's how they perceive love. That's how they recognise when someone else is committed to them. Can I tell you that it's not a coincidence that every one of those five languages requires you to take a positive step. None of them are fight fiercely to keep the status quo exactly as it is and never rock the boat. Every one of them requires you to take a decision, to take a step forward, to pour into the relationship. Which is important because Being fierce doesn't mean that you're always the leader. 
And it doesn't mean that you're always charging into action without reflection. If we're going to be fierce, if we're going to be bold, and if we're going to say, look, I'm up for it, I'm willing to fight for this relationship, then that's the way, to me, we'll start to break through the stagnation that comes when you get into a routine. When you start coming to church every week, you meet the same people, sit in the same seat, have the same coffee, walk out at exactly the same time. That's where you start to tap into breaking out of routine and really exploring new ways and new opportunities and new pathways that God may have placed before you. Which brings me to a fourth point, all right? Just like, um, what was it, Daniel's Direct? All right, I'll give you one more for free right now. Um, and it's basically, if you're left wondering at the end of it all, well, what am I going to do? You know, I give myself a quick health check. I think I can go further in being full or I can be more fierce in my relationships. Um, the last principle I want to leave you with is that when things aren't as good as they can be, when you've reflected and you think that there's further you can go, a godly relationship means being willing to fight to fix it. All right, I might actually ask someone from the band to come up and just uh, play us out if that's all right, because I'm just about done. But I, I really want to leave you with this final point, that if you've got the three pillars of being, having a full life, having a frank love, and having a fierce boldness, that being willing to fight to fix is the final part, because we will have challenges thrown at us. We will have obstacles that come up, and we'll have discouragements along the way. Look, fight to fix is a... Um, it's an old Navy mantra that gets drilled into everyone from when they join. And the principle is that you're not always going to have your plan A work. You're not always going to have your plan B work. But if you let all these small impediments pile up and paralyze you, then you're just going to sit still. And the example that, as old as time itself they use, is a, a steering gear failure. They say that you're charging along in your ship. You've got places to be, things to go, everyone relying on you and your steering gear system goes offline. And invariably, the, the junior or the more inexperienced people go, well, the engineers tell me it'll be 20 minutes before it can be fixed, so we're just going to bob here for 20 minutes because I'm rudderless. And the lesson that they're trying to teach you is that, well, just because your primary system's gone down, can you send someone down there to use hydraulics? And if hydraulics go down, can you go down there and put in a hand crank? And I can tell you, it takes 70 turns to get five degrees of wheel out. It is painful when you need to go down to your plan C and plan D to get back on course. But the point is you can do it if you're willing to fight hard enough to fix what's going on and to fix what's wrong. You can do it. So I'll leave you with a, a verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It says that whoever forever observes the wind will never sow. He who forever watches the clouds will never reap. If we stand and wherever, forever dithering and paralysed by indecision, we're never going to be willing to fight to fix the things that are in our way, to face the shortcomings that are in our way. Chris Pringle last week gave a, um, an interesting suggestion on how uh, Reuben and Deb McIntyre like to fix to fight things. Um, for those who weren't here, it involves a bottle of wine and some... Um, some extracurricular activities. The point is that that might not work for everyone and, and certainly 
grossly inappropriate in a work setting if you're looking at relationships through that lens. But if we're willing to step out, put the issues on the table and say, you know what, this relationship is worth more to me than letting it drift away, if we're willing to fight for it, then that's when we'll be able to turn the ship around, to point ourselves in the right direction and tap in to a real, loving, meaningful, godly relationship. So I said at the start that look, this isn't meant to be a, an Oprah segment. Um, the, the overall theme of what we're exploring at the moment is real conversations and real relationships. So here comes the real conversation that I want to leave you with today. Don't settle for less than a healthy, vibrant, and adventurous, and unstoppable relationship whether that's with God, with your partner, with your family, or with your community here today. All right? Be willing to fight, to find a way to tap into that relationship because that's what we're here for. That's our reason for being. It's not the cherry on top. If we want it, if we want to realise the potential that we're placed here for, that's what we need to be looking at. So as we end, I just want to give the opportunity there that if anything here has has spoken to you today and if you decide that you do either want to renew a full, a frank, a fierce relationship or if you need some help in in knowing how you might fight to fix it then please stay behind and I would love to just pray with you one on one but otherwise that is my message for today thank you very much and I, I really hope that it's touched you